Hey guys, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts is in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts chapter 6. We're walking through this series we're calling The Story Continues. Uh, and we're looking at how as we, as we look at Acts, this, this book that, that details, chronicles the early days of the church, we're seeing how God's big story continues to move forward through God's Spirit-empowered people. And it's pretty amazing as we think about it that these people, these disciples in the book of Acts, they, they tell people about Jesus. And then those people told people about Jesus. And those people told people about Jesus. And it spread around the world. And as that good news kept spreading, it spread around the world from one generation to the next all the way down to us 2,000 years later in Nolan County, America. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That this movement, not, uh, not a religion, but this movement that began with the resurrection of Jesus, has made its way all the way to us simply because God's people, empowered by the Spirit, keep telling the story. So keep telling the story, right? Keep telling the story. Father, we're so thankful for, uh, for your word. We thank, we thank you that we get to gather around your word. We thank you that we're gathered not to do church, but to, we're gathered as the church today. We don't want to just attend, but Father, we, 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 we are turning our attention to, uh, to your word. Speak to us through your living word. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. And then send us out of here, scatter us out of here um, as salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this, this message is called Growing Pains. Um, and uh, uh, not only is that a, an 80s sitcom, but Growing Pains is something that, that anytime we experience any kind of growth, uh, we experience growing pains. If you if you experience, you know, some of our uh, of our, our young people are in here still growing, maybe maybe growing over the summer, and and when we grow fast physically, even an individual, uh, there's uh, there's pain involved in that. There's there's muscle pain, and and uh, and your body's trying to trying to keep up, and, and 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 as a workplace or a business grows, man, that's something to celebrate, but it also brings challenge and struggle. And when a church grows. That brings challenge, it brings struggle, it brings growing pains. And, you know, we have four biological children, and every time we've brought one of those kids home from the, high, from the, from the hospital, uh, there's been celebration and there's been challenge. Man, I'm so thankful, so excited that we have this new life that's part of our family. And, wow, this is challenging. From the first uh, through the fourth, every time we brought a child home, it was, uh, it was a, a, a day of celebration and a lot of adjustment to the new challenges. And, and, and when we brought number three and number four home, and we had to adjust from a man-to-man to, to a zone uh, defense, you know, that was, that was a challenge. Um, and now we're in this new season where we've stepped into this foster care uh, journey a couple of weeks ago, and we have two more children in our home, uh, ages four and five, and then our youngest biological child is four, and so we've got four, four, and five, and we're getting a taste of what, if, if, if somebody has triplets, we're getting a taste of what that might be like, and, uh, and, and, and we're experiencing this this growing pains again. We're just experiencing the celebration and the challenge that comes as we grow. And uh, with the three youngest, I mean, the three oldest have just done this incredible job of stepping up. And the three youngest, four, four, and five, it's barely four, four and a half, and then barely five. And so these, these youngest three, uh, we're hearing a lot of, that's mine. Hearing a lot of, look at what he's doing. Hearing a lot of, what about me? Hearing a lot of, I want that. Hearing a lot of, wah, wah, you know. And uh, as our family has grown, suddenly the work of distributing resources 
has become more challenging. Resources uh, like how many seats can we fit around the table? How many people can we fit in the, in the minivan? Um, how do we give resources like time and emotional attention and energy and give our face to each of these six and to each of the others in our lives? All that has become, even though we're celebrating the opportunity, it has become more challenging. And, uh, and, and I share that with you today because in Acts chapter 6, we're looking at a family that's growing fast. We're looking at this early church, and they are growing fast. And with that growth comes this incredible celebration. But there also comes challenge. Um, the, the early church is growing here in Acts chapter 6 faster than anybody could keep up. Nobody could keep up with the demands. And that growth created celebration and challenge. And, and so growth brings challenge. And challenge brings growth. Growth brings challenge. If you grow, whether it's business, whether it's home, whether it's school, uh, whether it's physically, whether it's church, growth brings challenge. And then challenge, if we respond to it well, brings more growth. You know, I've never known anybody that's, um, that, you know, packed on a bunch of muscle by doing nothing, right? There has to be, you know, all of us that, that go work out with Nick and Stacy, we complain uh, every time we go and work out. And yet, we keep doing it. So maybe there's some psychological problems that we need to address, but we know deep down that if we're going to grow, if our bodies are going to be transformed, it can't be easy. There has to be challenge. And so growth brings challenge, but then those challenges we're walking through, those can result in more growth. And so if you're in the middle of conflict right now, if you're in the middle of struggle right now, if you're in the middle of challenge right now, I want you to hear that that really can be an opportunity to grow. God really does want to grow you and help you serve other people as you walk through that challenge. Challenge and conflict isn't just something to avoid at all costs. It is a daily opportunity to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. All right. So growth brings challenge. Challenge brings growth. So the church we've seen throughout the book of Acts, the church is this diverse family. It's this family of these diverse people that's been brought together, gathered in the name of Jesus, and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they scatter out from one another in the name of Jesus, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world. And, 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 and throughout Acts, we've watched how the church is unified, and how the church is this place where we can belong. You know, all of us are created with this need to belong somewhere. All of us are created with this deep need for relationship, relationship with God and true community with, with God's people, with other people. And so the church is designed to be this place where you can belong and where I can belong and where we're one. Now, we may not agree on, on, on everything. Uh, we're not clones of each other. So uh, we may vote different ways sometimes or we may, uh, we may have some theological uh, beliefs here and there that differ, or, you know, um, uh, I might hear Laurel, and, and you might be wrong, and, and you know, and, and all those things may be different, right? Uh, I'm only halfway joking, but the, with those, the, those things, we, we may have differences as the body of Christ, um, but we're going to be unified that Christ is Lord. We're going to be unified on what the gospel is and that the gospel is true, and that unity in the gospel, that gospel-centered, Christ-centered unity, um, it, that creates this sense of belonging. And so that unity of the church and that belonging of the church, the church being the safe haven, um, has been something that has been under attack 
uh, since the book of Acts. It's been under attack since the very beginning. And so first we saw in Acts, the unity of the church is attacked by persecution from outside. And already several times the apostles have been called in and said, hey, don't, you know, stop telling people about Jesus. At the end of Acts 5, they're brought in, uh, the leaders of, 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 of the temple say, hey, quit telling people about Jesus. You can't do that anymore. And they say, hey, we're going to keep doing it. And so they have them beaten and then, and, then they, and then they send them out and the apostles were told they celebrate that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Pretty incredible. And they celebrate that they were able to, 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 to bear some, just a taste of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, uh, when, when, when we're suffering, when people are suffering for Christ, that really, that really puts a lot of things in, in perspective. Okay? And, so, uh, and then, though, the, the enemy, he, he tried to attack through force from outside, and then he attacked by falsehood from inside. He tried to attack the integrity of the church next. And we saw Ananias and Sapphira's story last week and how they, they uh, and, and people left kind of like bummed out. And, you know, it wasn't really like a real like peppy sermon. Hey, these two people tried to lie to God. They were hypocrites and they got struck dead. It's hard to like have that be like a, a, real, a, a real upper of a sermon, okay? Um, but yet, yeah, it, 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 it is very motivating, that uh, these people try to lie to the Spirit of God. They try to lie to God. And, and, uh, and, and, and God cared about His church so much that He didn't let that falsehood take root inside. So the enemy attacks from force from outside and from falsehood from inside. And now in Acts chapter 6, um, the church is going to have to figure out, the church is going to have to figure out how to deal with the consequences of growth. How does the church deal with the conflict and the struggle that comes as a response of growth? And so something I want to say here, the early church was not perfect. We know that, I think, but sometimes we, think we kind of romanticize the early church. Oh, if we'd have just been like the early church. Hey, the early church, we've already seen stuff like Ananias and Sapphira happening. We're about to see injustice and complaining happening. The early church was made up of people just like you and me. And so any move of God... In any move of God, anytime God is moving, all kinds of us, all kinds of crazy people like me and you are going to get caught up in that movement and it's going to be messy, okay? And so messiness does not mean that God isn't moving. Often messiness means God is moving. And, and we just had a lot of people over, over those past few days give their lives to Christ and, 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 and there's going to be some messiness that, that shakes out of that. Anytime God is moving, it's, it's not always neat because you know what? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we're trying to do this thing together, and so it gets messy. There's always going to be conflict in your marriage because you're married to a sinner and your spouse is married to a sinner, right? There's always going to be conflict at work because you got, you got sinners there. We are going to struggle with conflict because, because I'm here and you're here. And, and, and we haven't arrived yet. And so conflict, challenge, that is part of the deal. And in our marriages or in our friendships or in church, we're so used to just cutting and running when conflict happens. But conflict is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to be transformed into the image of God. So things get messy when God's Spirit moves. God is perfect. His Spirit is perfect. But we're not. And so things get messy. All right, so first, growth brings celebration. Let's look at uh, chapter 6. Now, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. In these days, the disciples were increasing in number. Over and over and over, Luke, throughout the book of Acts, tells us that the church is growing and thriving, and this, this is a beautiful thing. And, and so when, when the church is growing, or your business is growing, or your family's growing, there's a lot of celebration there. And their growth, we're going to see in, in verse 7, we're, we're going to be told, Acts 6, verse 7, that, that the Word of God increased. So their growth is not rooted in human personality, 
Their growth is not rooted in, man, that Peter, uh, he can really tell funny, funny jokes. It's not rooted in uh, how great of a leader John is. It's rooted, their growth is rooted in how true and authoritative God's word is. Their growth is rooted in scripture. It's rooted in God's word. All right. So growth brings celebration, but next growth also brings challenge. Now, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint. Stop there. Complaint. Whenever God's spirit is moving, whenever the church is growing, whenever your family's growing, whenever your neighborhood's growing, whenever your workplace is growing, growth brings challenge. And one of the ways challenge manifests is through complaint. I want you just to think back over this week. When did you complain? Let's think back over this morning. <laughs> growth often brings complaint. Even if we're getting what we prayed for, we still complain about it, don't we? Complaint. And as a church is growing, sometimes the complaint is, hey, things aren't like they used to be. I don't know everybody anymore. I don't know everybody's business anymore. I don't get the same level of attention. Have I lost my place? We ask the same kind of questions a kid asks when a new kid gets brought home from the hospital. So complaint happens. And that is part of growth. Now, how will we respond as the body of Christ? How will we respond to conflict? How will we respond to challenge? How will we respond to um, complaint? Well, let's look at what the specific complaint was. There was a complaint by the Hellenists. Uh, uh, the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, what's a Hellenist and what's a Hebrew? A Hebrew would have been a Jewish person who speaks Aramaic as their, as their primary language, and, and they're primarily shaped by, by Hebrew culture. They've been born and raised in Israel, born and raised in Jerusalem, their hometown people. Now, these Hellenists, these would have been Jewish people who grew up in other parts of the world. And Aramaic isn't their primary language. They may not even speak Aramaic. They speak Greek. And they've been shaped by Greek culture. And maybe they, they, they've lived other places their whole life, but towards the end of their life, they migrate back to Jerusalem because they want to die where the temple is. And now they've come back, but, but, but instead of remaining Jews, they've heard the good news about Jesus, that the Messiah has come, the fulfillment of the story has come, and they've given their lives to Christ. And their families, who would have been the ones that take care of widows, now have turned their backs on these widows because, hey, we're not going to take care of you anymore. You've left the faith. You've become a Christian. There was this huge price tag. There was this huge cost in these days to becoming a father follower of Jesus. And so there's these hometown local majority Hebrew widows who speak the language, who know the culture, and then there's this minority group who doesn't speak the language, who doesn't know the culture, they're different, and the minority group is feeling this burn or this pain of injustice. The Hellenists are complaining and saying, "Hey, we're not getting equal treatment on equal footing with the rest of the body of Christ." And this is a real thing. I mean, would you say the church has nailed down uh, cultural, ethnic, um, uh, language diversity yet? And this conflict, it, it, God's doing something here. He's bringing every tribe and tongue and nation together in the body of Christ. Uh, but they're struggling that. And so in every age, the church has to struggle with rooting our identity in Christ rather than in our culture or our nation or our ethnicity or our language or our social status. And so these Hellenistic widows are saying, hey, we're not, getting, we're not getting taken care of. Now remember back in Acts 4, we were told that the church, there was no needy among the early church because people are selling their goods, they're selling what they have, they're pooling their resources, and they're sharing with everybody who has need. And so there's a picture here that there was some kind of daily distribution 
and the apostles and, and, and church leaders are going about and they're taking to the widows and other needy people this daily distribution of food and goods and resources. But as the church has grown to a few thousand people, it's become really, really hard to keep up with that. And the people that are being neglected are the people that are in the minority group and the people that are different. And they don't like that. It's not fair. It's unjust. And so the Hellenistic widows start saying something like, hey, Hellenistic widows matter. Hellenistic widows matter. Hellenistic lives matter. And, you know, it would have been a really tone-deaf response for the church leaders to say, yeah, look at the Bible. Everybody, everybody matters. That wouldn't have been a very helpful response. I like the way Todd Wagner puts it. He says if, if his wife, or I'll say if my wife, Sonda, was to say to me, hey, I just feel like I'm not getting attention from you. I feel like I don't matter to you. If I said, hey, read the Bible. Wives matter. All wives matter. Duh. You would think I was a pretty terrible communicator, terrible husband. That would be a tone-deaf response to her acknowledging this actual injustice that was happening. And so the apostles didn't say, hey, everybody matters. They acknowledged that there really was something going on here. They listened. They listened. And then they thought, how can we address this problem? They don't get defensive and say, hey, we love everybody the same. Everybody gets treated the same. Don't, why are you complaining? They don't shut it down. They listen. They don't hide, they don't dodge it, they listen and then they take action to creatively address the injustice. So what happens? Verse 3, therefore brothers, or, well first, verse 2, they summoned the full numbers of the, of, of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they're not saying, hey, we're too good to serve tables, we're too good to distribute food. They've been the ones doing this, and there are probably a lot of people in the church that say, hey, you guys only work one day a week, I mean, come on, why don't you be the ones that distribute all the food, right? It's, it's y'all's job to do that. And they said, hey, if we do all of the administrative work in the church, we're not going to have time to focus on God. God's word and on prayer, and that's our number one most important job. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Yeah, tables need to be served, and, um, and man, and, and that's a powerful ministry, and we're going to be part of that, but we're not going to be the ones who are pouring all of our energy into that because we've got to pour our, we got to be faithful over here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. That word good repute comes from the word we get martyr from. These are, they're looking for faithful witnesses to Christ. They don't say, hey, go find somebody that came to Sunday school twice in a row. Let's do that. No, they say, hey, let's find some faithful witnesses to Jesus. Full of the Spirit of God. Full of wisdom. Whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, it's interesting. Ministry of the Word. That word ministry is the word diakonos, where we get our word deacon. And also diakonos is used for that word serve, where they're talking about serving tables. So we're going to come back to that. But same exact Greek word used for serving tables, ministry of, of tangible service. And, and this very same word for ministry is used for the ministry of God's word. All right, and so sometimes I'll have a deacon say, hey, I'm not a minister, I'm a deacon. Well, the word deacon means minister. That's what it means. It means minister. It means servant. And pastors and deacons aren't the only people in the body of Christ called to serve. Every single member in the body of Christ is called to serve. And so pastors or elders, they're an example of, of the ministry of the word. Deacons, that office is an example of tangible, helping ministry. And that demonstrates that the church, the church has this ministry of the word and this ministry of practical help. And both of those are ministry. And we can't divorce those from each other. Right, so they, they creatively choose this team of seven guys. Let's read the
some guys' names. Um, they chose Stephen, uh, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Interestingly, all seven of these guys have Greek names. All seven of these guys are Hellenists. All seven of these guys come from the minority culture. They're not promoted because they're minority. They're promoted because they're full of the faith and they're full of wisdom. But it's an incredible and radical thing that the apostles are doing and that the early church is doing in giving a voice to people who felt like they had no voice and elevating people into leadership, not as this token thing, but as, hey, we see you full of the Spirit, we see you full of wisdom, and we're entrusting you with this gospel ministry. Pretty radical, pretty incredible. It's interesting to me that the apostles, they're not thinking as they're growing, they're not thinking just in terms of addition. They're thinking in terms of multiplication. They're not thinking, hey, let's add two or three more apostles. That'll fix it. No, they say, let's create a whole new category of ministers. Let's multiply ourselves so that we can effectively reach more people. That that tells me that, that, that these apostles, as they experience the celebration and the challenge of growth, They see growth, they see conflict as an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity. You know, usually we only see conflict negatively if we're we're honest. Just be honest for a second. When when conflict comes around, usually don't we either want to get away from it as quick as we can or prove that we're right definitively. And, And rarely, I mean, I know that's my two responses, except the other order, I want to prove that I'm right in it. But... Rarely do we say, rarely is our natural response to conflict, I wonder what, I wonder how God could be glorified in this. I wonder what God is teaching me in this. Usually we run at the first sight of conflict. Conflict is present in the church. It's going to be. It's present in your workplace, in your marriage. But conflict is an opportunity to grow and we won't grow without it. I love in the book, Come and See, um, it says conflict is an opportunity to glorify God to serve others, and also to grow myself. So think about conflict that you might be in. What if our three questions regarding conflict were, first, how can God be glorified in this? Second, how can I serve other people through this? Third, um, how does God want me to grow through this? How can I glorify God? How can I serve others? How can I grow? Man, if we approach conflict with those three questions, would totally change so many of the conflicts we experience. I think about my marriage. And I think about when Son and I were dating. And you know, I don't know if, if you guys have experienced this, but a lot of times dating and courtship is kind of like a long con because we're, we're, presenting, uh, we're presenting like the best version of ourselves as long as we can. And then we marry and we're like, who in the world, who, who did I marry? Husbands, just look straight ahead. Uh, <laughs> Who do, you're going to be okay. I'm going to walk you through this. But we're thinking, who did I marry? And, and, and wives ask, who is this guy? And husbands ask, who is this person? That's not the person I dated. And, you know, and we, I know Son and I, when we were dating, man, we were just in this bubble of love and, and romance. And then we got married, and it was like the bubble just busted. And she was like, who is this guy? And, and why am I in this thing? And it was tough. It was tough. And when that kind of conflict happens, we often say, well, I just married the wrong person. Let me go marry somebody else. And then that happens again. And then three or four times later, we say, well, maybe I'm part of this equation somewhere, right? But, then, but, but, 
But what if we stay in that? What if that conflict, and, and think about conflict with your kids or, 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 or work or whatever. What if that conflict is an opportunity to grow? And you're saying, well, you don't know my coworker. That person is a jerk. Maybe they are. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to serve. So what is ministry? We touched on this already. The disciples say, hey, we have this diakonia, this ministry of the word. These seven that are chosen have this diakonia, this ministry of serving tables. Um, and, and it's tempting to think, oh, we got the apostles doing their thing. We got the senior leaders. By the way, uh, the, the apostles are, there's not one apostle leading the church. There's 12 apostles leading the church as a team. And, it's, and they still can't keep up with the work. So they create this other category, uh, this, this team of seven. So it's tempting to say, okay, we've got apostles. They're doing the word stuff. We got deacons. They're doing the hands-on stuff. We're good. All our bases are covered. Um, but if we go to Ephesians 4.12, which is a great passage to memorize, we're told that in the church there's all these leaders, evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers, and it said that, that God has given those leaders to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of what? Ministry, for the work of service. That word ministry is diakonia, the very same word where we get deacon from that's here in this passage in multiple different ways. Is that saying everybody in the body of Christ is called to hold the office of deacon? No, but everybody in the body of Christ is called to model the ministry of the word and the ministry of offering tangible help to people. Every member of the body of Christ is called to be a minister in word and in practical service. Saved people serve people. Man, maybe there's people in this room that just gave your life to Christ over the weekend at Hope for Sweetwater. Maybe you gave your life to Christ years ago. Saved people serve people. And if you're saved, if you know Jesus, you're gonna have, and if you're in His Word, you're going to have this growing desire to serve other people. I, I, I Googled that phrase, saved people serve people, because I thought, man, that's really good. I probably heard that somewhere before. I probably didn't make that up. And so I Googled it, and this pastor, Brad Cooper from New Spring Church, he had this line, saved people serve people, so that served people would become saved people. That's pretty good, isn't it? Saved people serve people, so that served people will become saved people. You probably became a saved person because somebody saved served you. And I love thinking back about this last week and how many of our church families served at VBS this last week, served at the shop this last week, served at Hope for Sweetwater, served in ways that I don't even know about. So God called, and a lot of times we get, we get caught up in, we don't know where, where am I supposed to serve? Where's my ministry? Where's God calling? What's God's plan for my life? And I, I believe Bob Goff nails it when he says, God's plan for your life is to love people. Go out and love somebody. Stop looking for a plan and go love somebody. And it really all kind of starts to fall into place after that. I love verse 7. We're told the word of God continued to increase. We're not told Peter's ministry, man, it really flourished. John, man, he really knocked him dead. We're told the word of God increased. Because as the word of God is central in the church, not personalities, but as the word of God is central, we're going to grow. We're going to grow numerically. We're going to grow spiritually. And what is true of the church is true of your life. Maybe some of us are saying, why am I not growing spiritually? Are you... Do you have a healthy, steady diet of God's Word? If you have a steady diet of God's Word, your life isn't necessarily going to be easy, but you will grow. You will grow. And some of us, we don't have a diet of God's Word. We're not in community, and we're sitting around wondering why we're not growing. If you have a steady diet of God's Word, 
if you have an intake daily of truth, if you're in community with people, regardless of what externally has happened in your life, you will grow. You're going to have dry times. You're going to have good times. You're going to have dry times. But you will grow. Just invite you to serve where you're passionate. Man, you have a sweet spot that God made you for that he didn't make anybody else for. You know, Jerry, over the course of the past couple months, found a sweet spot for evangelism that he didn't even know was there before. It's in, but he found that through trying different ministries in different ways. So, so get, jump in somewhere. Try different things. You may scratch something off your list. But try different things until you find that place that you're passionate for. But you know what? God, God calls you to serve where you're passionate, but God also calls you to serve where nobody's passionate. God calls you to serve where nobody is passionate. You know what? It's easy to serve where I'm passionate. It's good. It's beautiful. I love it. But God also calls me and he calls you to serve where nobody is passionate. This last week at the shop at VBS, uh, a child threw up on the floor. And I heard this. Somebody told me later. Um, but, uh, and I was told, uh, you know, Becky Acuna just walked in with a smile on her face and just started cleaning up that puke. And then Gretchen walked in right behind her with a smile on her face and started mopping right behind her. And I really doubt Becky woke up that morning or Gretchen and said, you know what would really fulfill my day? You know what would just be, you know what would just be the special sauce bad image of this day? <laughs> Sorry, didn't think about that one. Uh, hey, you know what would just, man, melt my butter today is if I could just clean up barf. Uh, a little while back when, when Ashley and I were scrubbing, uh, were scrubbing uh, poop off the, the, the stalls in the bathroom, and by the way, if you feel a call to ministry, let me just, nobody told me this, but there was a lot of time dealing with poop, metaphorically and literally, so just brace yourself for that. But as we were, as we were uh, you know, washing poop off the wall, we weren't saying, yes, this is, I come alive as I'm, as I'm doing this. Wow, I've never felt so alive. When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, he's not saying, man. I feel so alive right now. He's doing it because it needed to be done. And he's modeling service. So if you're following Christ, you're going to do some things you're passionate about. But God also calls you to do things nobody's passionate about. And what an incredible example of the love and grace of God. As I watch Bill Airy sweeping at the shop every day, sweeping the gravel off the shop, and the kids come and they just sweep it right up. It's like the guy that rolled the, the boulder up the hill every single day for eternity. Well, Bill, he just, he just sweeps that gravel off. And I, I doubt Bill, and Bill can correct me if, 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 if I'm wrong, but I doubt he says, you know what, God put me on this earth, and I feel so alive as I, as I, as I, as I, as I sweep gravel. No, he does it because it needs to be done. And he comes alive when he serves. So God calls you to serve where you're passionate. God calls you to serve where nobody's passionate. As we wrap up, as we wrap up, I know I've given you, the band's coming up, and I know I've given you some vivid, beautiful imagery here to think about. I want you to think about what, what conflict might be going on in your life now. What conflict might be going on in your life? And let's just ask those three questions. God, how can I glorify you in this? God, how can I serve other people in this? God, how do you want to grow me in this? And if you don't have any conflict in your life right now, there's a few of us that would love to slide some off of our plate over onto yours if you could just see me afterward. How does God want to be glorified? How does He want to grow me? 
How can I serve other people in this? So maybe, uh, maybe you have a conflict within yourself and, and you're, it's time for you to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe you gave your life to Christ over the weekend and you know you need to make that public. And we have opportunity right now as we have this invitation time. Come forward. Let us know, hey, I've, I've chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe your next step is to follow Him in baptism or to commit to our church family. Uh, maybe there's a conflict you, you just need to pray with somebody about. Brother Jerry will be down here. Brother Will will be down here. Brother Richard's at the back. Pray with somebody. We're available as we respond. Let's stand together. How would God have you respond to His Word?